You're listening to Drones in America on MarketScale. Your host, Grant Guillot, leads the Unmanned Aircraft Systems Practice Team for the law firm of Adams & Reese. Every week, he will be chatting with leaders, influencers, and experts who are impacting the rapidly growing commercial drone industry in the United States to help us through the complex web of technology and policy. Welcome back to Drones in America by Marcus Scale. Today, I am joined by Congressman Garrett Graves, who is the ranking member of the Aviation Subcommittee, as well as my congressman, as he's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, coincidentally. Welcome to the program, Congressman Graves. Thank you very much. It's great to join you. Good to see you again. So, you know, and I've told several people this, what a small world it is that you and I, in fact, went to the same high school. So they always say the connections you make in high school, especially at Catholic High, um, will always serve you in the future. So it's uh, it's great to have a a fellow Bruin uh, involved in this space with me. Um, No doubt. It's exciting. And it it was a great high school experience. Let's start by talking a little bit about your road to becoming congressman. I know you've worked in politics for uh, or in the political scene for quite a while. Kind of tell us a little bit about your background, how you got to be where you are today. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I never had intentions of, of being involved in, in politics. Um, it was uh, I'll make the story as quick as I can, but but two two important components. One um, I actually was a, was a mountaineering instructor. I, I, I taught uh, outdoor wilderness trips. It's where my wife and I met. And um, my parents were giving me a hard time about doing something, quote, more serious with my life. And, um, and so really, and I think it was more of an act of rebellion than anything else. I, uh, I applied for internships in, in, the, in, the, in the Congress, and I got an internship uh, with one of our senators, and I remember I came straight off of a trip. I had long hair and a beard and cut it all, uh, went and started doing this internship. Supposed to be there one month. They asked me to stay on uh, longer, stay on staff, uh, got offered a job. And it was just this huge uh, disruption of my world. And that was kind of my introduction. I didn't think I'd like it. And I loved it. Um, I left uh, doing staff work and I had a number of people urging me to run for this open seat in the Congress. And, and I remember telling one of my friends, I said, if I ever run for political office, it's what you take a baseball bat and knock me up beside my head. And uh, thankfully, he didn't do it. Um, but in any case, I, I just I told all these people over several months that I wasn't running. I wasn't interested in running. And um, finally, one night, my wife, after hearing some folks urging me to do it, um, she rolled over the next morning in bed and said, you know what? You need to run. And I, I just I was so shocked because she hates politics and. Uh, hates the divisiveness. And she just said, you know what? She said, you, you, um, you, you know the state really well. You know the issues. You know how to get things done. And I think you want to do it. And I'll tell you, that was the first time ever that I actually thought about running. And um, kind of all downhill from there with the exception of getting into this amazing runoff with our, our former governor, our legendary former governor. And, uh, and we ended up winning. And it, it's, been a, it's been a really neat experience, though. You mentioned the divisiveness and, you know, it, it never ceases to amaze me every four years. It, it reaches a fever pitch, it feels like, um, you know, 
America in general right now, we've been through some pretty traumatic experiences lately, I guess you could say, with COVID-19. And then, of course, the, the protests, the general unrest. Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? I, I'm assuming there's going to be a light at come November 5th because um, the election will be over. But do you generally see a chance for America to heal? You know, Grant, I, I think that uh, you're exactly right and that the divisiveness does ramp up the closer we get to a presidential election, especially. Um, and, and I do think that after the election, things will begin to, to settle back down. But, but what's more important is that I don't think it's OK. Um, I think that in this country over the last several years, you have seen this migration uh, toward increased divisiveness, um, a, a much bigger gap between, you know, sort of the liberals and conservatives. Uh, the, this middle ground area is becoming more vacant and folks are more strongly, um, at least in political uh, circles, are more strongly associating themselves with a liberal or conservative ideology. Now, the interesting thing is that um, the, the largest growth of any uh, political party, per se, is actually independence. You're seeing more and more people that are associating themselves uh, with political independence uh, than, than you're seeing affiliating with a party. And, and so, um, one, let me say it again, I think it's, I think it's awful uh, what's happening. Two, I think it is contrary uh, to the intents of our founders. I think it dilutes um, the, the whole uh, concept behind a democracy, this constitutional republic, and, 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 it, and it really infringes upon our ability to represent people like you, the people that we represent, because more of the power is being amassed within the political parties and the leadership and not within the individual members and, of course, the, the people that we're representing like you. And so um, I think it's dangerous. I think it's a bad trajectory. I think it undermines our awesome structure of government. And, um, and it seems that the people are largely moving in the direction of, of um, asking for uh, more cooperation and more focus on what the actual right thing to do is rather than uh, the right thing for a political party. You know, and I think a large part of this is, of course, we all know um, about issues with the media and with the, the notion that the media sometimes tends to put a negative spin on things or a positive spin on things, depending on what the story is. This kind of ties in nicely to, you know, one of the main reasons we're here today was just to talk drones. Um, obviously, you are a big proponent of commercial drone use. You are the ranking member of the aviation subcommittee. I know this is a, uh, a movement or a cause that's, that is very dear to you. I also know you probably are well aware that as with politics and presidential races, media coverage of drone use is not uh, necessarily a positive uh, thing. There's not a positive spin put on drone use. Uh, Gatwick, of course, is the be-all, tell-all of what, what drones are. That, that I think that for America, that was a huge story that went a long way in implanting this negative perception into people's minds. And there, of course, there have been others, the, the random drones out in the uh, 
I think it was Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, that area. But, but of course, there's other negative drone stories. And the fact is, and you know this given your position, the immense ability for good that drones are capable of accomplishing. Uh, how, you know, what do you think we can do to put, to help positively shape the narrative in order to encourage commercial drone use? Well, uh, one, in regard to the media and, and, and sort of the transition you did from the partisan politics to the media, I, I think that the media does um, create these uh, sort of sensational stories. They like the more provocative things. And so uh, sometimes the, the media just doesn't view a good story about drones as being something that's really as provocative or sensational as, as many of the media outlets uh, like. But but. But the reality is, especially, you know, thinking about COVID, you and I are doing this remotely, despite the fact that we're in the same city right now. Um, we are. <laughs> and we're, doing, we're doing this be largely because of COVID, right? And, and so um, drones actually uh, bring the ability uh, to allow for better distancing. Um, drones actually um, allow for improved safety. They, they don't force the interactions uh, they, they allow for a autonomous vehicle to be uh, brought into areas that may be otherwise deemed unsafe. And I think that um, not just because of coronavirus, just because of the evolution of technology, because of the efficiency, because of the improvements, the safety that they provide, I think that there's so many opportunities for us to be able to tell those stories. And look, you and I have discussed this in the, in the past, Grant, but everything from here we are in South Louisiana, going do damage assessments uh, after a, a hurricane or disaster, sending in a drone uh, to a scenario that otherwise might not be safe because of um, uh, perhaps a, a, an armed suspect or, or, or someone who's threatening violence, um, a, a condition at a, a chemical plant, um, a leak of, of some type of chemical that uh, from a vessel. I mean, just look, we can go on and on and on. The ability to lower cost of doing pipeline inspections um, it just just the, the, the how ubiquitous these the, the, this platform is and the fact that you can just slap any sensor on it and um, and allow it to improve safety and bring back data to us at a lower cost. The, the potential for the drone industry is just incredible. And in fact, one company that I was recently talking with um, indicated that just since coronavirus, they have seen a 1000 percent increase in business um, because of coronavirus. And, and, and so this just goes to show you the incredible potential of this platform moving forward. And it's important to keep in mind, the United States needs to be uh, the leader on this technology as we have led many other technological revolutions in the past. I agree. And I'm gonna uh, talk more about that in a minute or talk with you more about that in a minute. But I also wanted to add, while we're on the subject of positive stories, you know, I've been blessed to have um, some clients who are doing some great things with drones. One of them was uh, the first company to deliver an organ to a transplant recipient. Uh, drone deliveries of organs are actually uh, quite uh, not just safer, but more effective than car deliveries or automobile deliveries of, of organs. So that was a great story that I felt did not receive nearly the amount of media coverage it should have. I also have another client who's been utilizing part 107 to distribute COVID-19 tests using drones. Again, 
this is great, uh, great stories that should be making the news rounds and maybe to an extent they are, but yet I still have the sinking suspicion that if a, if a drone crashed into a tree, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that would somehow still just show you, you know, and, and there's a whole nother added level to this. And that's the Chinese foreign sourced drone aspect of it, which we are fortunate in America to have companies like Skydio that are definitely making their mark in the drone manufacturing company. But helping the public to understand that a drone is really not so different from a cell phone. When you turn on a cell phone, your level of privacy, your expectation of privacy is not nearly what you think it would be. You know, the it's quite possible that you are putting far more information out there than you realize. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the foreign source drone issue. So that I'm going to ask you a little bit about that. What have you seen in Congress regarding this push or this concern regarding foreign source drones? Well, um, I think that the increased sensitivity to China started well before coronavirus, but coronavirus certainly turned up the heat considerably. And I, and I do think that uh, China just incredibly mishandled uh, the, the coronavirus pandemic, not just for themselves, but, but for the globe. And, and so I think that that took what was already a, a growing topic, growing sensitivity, and, and again, really just put it on, on steroids. Um, uh, much of the evidence that China has um, uh, pirated intellectual property, uh, innovation, inventions, uh, ingenuity from the United States and uh, turned around and effectively used it against us uh, economically or labor-wise uh, or competing or undercutting U.S. businesses. It, it, it's a real issue. And the fact that you have one drone manufacturer uh, that has um, a well in excess of the majority of, of the industry, it, it did raise concerns. Be, and, and look, it's, it's guilt by affiliation, um, but it, it did raise concerns because of uh, some of the, the theft of intellectual property. And I think people view this as one of those high-tech spaces where you're, you're slapping different sensors and, and cameras and technologies onto drones. And that if, if this has a, a manufacturer that, that is associated with China, just like you've seen with the 5G issue, um, it, it definitely is raising additional concerns in the United States. But the good news is, and I think you kind of alluded to this, um, just in the last few months, we have already seen this migration of, of drone technology and manufacturers in the United States, a growing presence, a larger percentage of drones being U.S. manufactured and some of our allies as well. And so I do think that there, you know, there are going to be options or solutions there. I think having any one drone manufacturer that has 85 to 90 percent of the drones is probably not the best idea. I like competition like you do. And so um, I think that, that this issue is going to be resolved. But let me just reiterate, Grant, this sensitivity toward China is a real issue. And I think that it is going to continue to grow. Absolutely. It is a real issue. And it's great to see companies like Skydio who are uh, making their mark in the manufacturing space. We, uh, a, a colleague and I both wrote articles on this issue, and uh, we both kind of came to the same conclusion. We envision a future where, uh, you know, 
the manufacturer you were speaking of, DJI, who has the majority of the share, they could, they could, no, I said it. They could kind of possibly be the Nokia to Skydio being the Apple one day. No, there were, I, I even remember there was a time where we all had Nokias and um, Apple iPhones just simply were not that common. But now I, I don't know anyone who has a Nokia and that, that's nothing against Nokia. I just personally don't know anyone who does. So just because you have a foreign entity that does have the market share now, it does not need to stay that way. And as Nokia and Apple have shown us, things can change quite quickly. Uh, no doubt, but look, let's let's be clear. Uh, Nokia makes some of the best flip phones out there, and and I don't think you should um, uh, give disparaging remarks about their technology. Um, <laughs> uh, no, seriously, I, so, <laughs> I'm not disparaging their technology. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, you know, you know, Grant, um, uh, you're you're exactly right, and. Um, one of the things, look, DJI technology, it, it is a, a good technology. They're, they're drones. They, they have some impressive uh, drones. But but this whole guilt by association thing, it, it is real. And let me let me say it again. You're seeing it in 5G. I think the, the sensitivity of some of the drone platforms, including within our, our national security law enforcement apparatus, is an area where we need to be especially sensitive and, and be thoughtful about uh, where we're deploying some of these technologies. We have seen some of the uh, just incredibly um, uh, aggressive or predatory tactics of, of China when it comes to using technology to gain access uh, to information or other intellectual property. And, um, and, and I agree with you 100%, I think, as a result of, uh, in terms of your Apple scenario, in terms of um, uh, the fact that one company right now just has a, a majority of the, of the drones that are out there, that does not mean that will continue. I think the, the guilt by association with China combined with the fact that we have U.S. manufacturers um, that are bringing on technology that rivals or even uh, best uh, the, the technology of the Chinese manufacturers. I think that people, when they have a choice in the United States and, and, and most of the world, when they have a choice, they're going to go with a U.S. manufacturer over a Chinese manufacturer. Let's talk a little bit about the aviation sub and your involvement with that. I know it's, uh, of course, it's always great to have a, a fellow Southerner who's an advocate on what, what's considered the next, uh, the next great thing in technological innovation. And, you know, you and I have discussed this before, that despite your presence on the committee and the work we're doing down here, Louisiana and the Gulf Coast in general, you know, we're, none of us are members of the integration pilot program, yet we have all these industries down here that are just begging uh, for, for drone use. You know, um, energy, oil and gas, mining, um, forestry, construction, the list could go on and on and on. Coastal restoration. And what do you think we can do to educate industries here as to the Bits that drones are uniquely capable of providing so that the Gulf Coast kind of catches up with other areas of the country where commercial drone use is more rampant. Yeah. Um, well, let me let me say a couple of things. Number one, um, you you did indicate that a number of, uh, of our industries here in, in South Louisiana, those that are dominant on the Gulf Coast, um, 
are involved in drone drone uh, testing and drone technologies and, and sensors. Um, and so I, I, there is incredible interest. Um, there's utilization in, in some of these industries. Um, you're, you're exactly right that it's not the level that it could or should be. Uh, number two, I, I, I got to give a shout out. Uh, Nickel State University uh, has a partnership. They're working with the Homa Terrebonne Airport and, and others on the, the testing and utilization of the technology. You and I also talked about uh, a provision that right now is in the House passed uh, Coast Guard authorization legislation that um, sort of allows the Gulf of Mexico to be this test bed uh, for wing and ground for um, uh, testing effectively drone technology. And of course, you're doing it above water as opposed to above land, above populated areas, which, which does introduce a factor of safety or reduces some of the threat or risk. Um, so, so we are working on, on, on improving uh, the utilization, the awareness, but I think ultimately what we need to do, and I'd love to work with you on this, Grant, is, is putting together a conference or symposium with some of the uh, manufacturers of drones and of technology and, um, and with some of the potential uh, utilization opportunities, some of the applications of the drones just to help improve awareness of, of capabilities, awareness of what some of the sensors and other um, uh, cameras and, 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 and applications you can, you can put on the platform just to help folks understand the improved safety, the, the improved, uh, as we mentioned before, um, uh, surveying pipelines, getting into wetlands and other sensitive areas that are so dominant here in, in South Louisiana and preventing environmental impacts, yet being able to, to get the data that you need. I think there's so many opportunities here that, um, that, that, that we can pursue, but I think it is kind of education and, and helping to expose some of these folks to, to the, um, uh, the potential uh, role that drones play in improving safety uh, here in South Louisiana and across the Gulf Coast. Right. And along those lines, actually, next week, we were originally scheduled to have our Louis first, hopefully our first annual Louisiana UAS symposium, um, which, of course, you generously offered to provide the keynote each for. And we're going to have, you know, industry leaders from um, various industries as well as government agencies it was going to be a great event, but, you know, something that's the capital C and ends in a nine um, kind of, you know, dampered our plans for that. But it will be back in full force next year. We're determined to have it. Um, certainly, I, I would hope that this situation has changed by then and that people are more uh, willing and confident that they can safely attend conferences. So I look forward to um, working with you in the Louisiana Department of Transportation Development to host that uh, summit. Um, so one of the last things I wanted to ask you about is what exactly do you, uh, how do you, well, first of all, how are you enjoying your tenure in Congress? But of course, uh, more, more relevant to our conversation today, specifically, how are you enjoying being on the aviation subcommittee? Yeah, um, the, the, the job in Congress, I, I do enjoy it, um, you know, just to, without rehashing the entire uh, dialogue. Uh, I could do without some of the partisan fighting. I really do enjoy the policy. I enjoy uh, finding solutions to these longstanding problems. And, 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 and you and I, uh, last time we, we spoke, just briefly covered 
some of the things that we've been able to to get done here that have been stuck or, or been problems since the honestly before I was born the 70s and in some cases 80s and 90s and and so I look I love that I I I, I love trying to find solutions to complex problems working with diverse interests to try and figure out where we can get to that middle ground and getting things done. Um, but the divisiveness is is really a frustrating environment to work on in. And you have to work a lot harder to simply do what is right than you should in, in Congress. And that's unfortunate. Specifically in the aviation subcommittee, uh, Grant, I was excited about the opportunity uh, to lead the aviation subcommittee because I've done a lot of work in other areas of infrastructure, uh, in highways, um, in, in South Louisiana, restoring our coastal estuaries, uh, providing hurricane and flood protection. And as you and I both know, um, whether you want to talk about traffic solutions or you want to talk about flood and coastal resiliency solutions, the, the projects that we're carrying out today are often projects, as I mentioned, that were, that were conceived back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. One of the things about aviation that's exciting in aviation infrastructure is that it's that one sector that's so technologically advanced that largely we can be thinking about what's right for the 2030s, 2040s, and 2050s. And that was, was one of the things that really attracted me to this topic. And so going into it, I was, I was really excited about truly being able to plan for, think about the future, ensure the U.S. continued to maintain this technological edge. But as you know, Within months, the 737 MAX disasters uh, came about. And so um, that uh, has really and, and appropriately um, kind of caused the, the, the priorities to be associated with, with getting this issue resolved, uh, whether it's the certification process, um, whether it's manufacturing, um, but just getting this safety issue resolved. And so... Many of the things that, that we were excited to be working on had to, and I want to say it again, appropriately be put on a back burner um, to where we could address this. But, but look, um, you know, you've still, still seen, uh, you know, remote ID. You've still seen um, a number of other advances in the integration of drones into our complex aviation space. And so um, while, while um, certainly not the experience that I was anticipating early on, uh, nonetheless, this has been a, a rewarding and challenging uh, assignment that, that, that I have enjoyed working on. And, and I know I'm going to continue to enjoy working on. I do want to get the 737 MAX issue resolved uh, for the, in a way that's safe and, and addresses the concerns of the victims' families um, and, and restores confidence in the aviation system, but, but also ensuring we do not lose ground in the technological edge and the opportunities that drones are providing in the United States today and well in the future. Well, Congressman, uh, we're just about out of time. I want to thank you so much for being on the program. Um, of course, I always enjoy talking to a fellow Baton Rougean and a, a fellow Catholic High Bear. So um, thank you for all the amazing work you're doing in this industry. Uh, I'm excited to work together to bring this technology to the Gulf Coast, to South Louisiana, and to expand the industry in general. Well, I'm looking forward to continuing to, to work with you to, uh, to fulfill that vision, and, and I know that we can get it done. Thanks, Congressman. Please be sure to tune in next week for the next episode of Drones in America by Market Scale.